0: The man who was the second officer on the Titanic was also a hero of Dunkirk? The internet says it's true. Welcome, 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 welcome to The Internet Says It's True, where every week we learn something that sounds like I made it up, but it's really true, part of the WCBE podcast experience. My name is Michael Kent. This is episode 147. It's another Rewind episode, but I am back in town and I'm recording new episodes. In fact... I just recorded a brand new one about a mummy, an outlaw, and a disembodied head. And that's available now if you're on Patreon. For the rest of you, you'll get to hear that one next week. You can become a Tizziter, a supporter of this podcast, by signing up for Patreon. You can do that for as little as a dollar a month or as much as you want. It's patreon.com slash michaelkent. And you can now sign up for a free trial. So, you know, if you're on the fence about joining, you can sign up for free and try it out for a week. Once again, that's patreon.com slash Michael Kent. There's also a link in the show notes. Uh, I just finished a really great run of shows between the cruise ship, the Chicago Magic Lounge, and P3 Magic Theater. Um, Also, I'll be appearing July 10 in Cobleskill, New York. Then I'll be back in Columbus performing with frequent guest of the show, Eric Dittleman, on July 20 and 21. Those tickets are available now. Just go to upfrontps.org and you'll see those tickets. One really weird thing that happened is on my recent stint on a cruise ship, we sailed directly over the wreck of the Titanic. And they made an announcement on the ship, but it was a foggy, eerie day, and there's really nothing to see. Um, It's actually kind of crazy to think about the fact that had we done that one week later, the whole area would have been riddled with ships looking for the, the missing Titan submersible. But with the news about the Titan tragedy and all of the Titanic stuff being in the press lately, I thought it was apropos to revisit the story about Charles Lightoller. And this was episode 59. It originally was released on October 18, 2021. Uh, Stay tuned for the later part of this episode where we play the quiz with the hilarious Jonathan Burns.
1: Hey, Michael, it's Jimmy. Uh, I've got something that I think would be great for your podcast. Okay, so the guy who was the second officer on the Titanic, right? Uh, He not only survived, he went on to be at the evacuation of Dunkirk in World War II. You need to check that one out. It is a crazy
0: story. Thanks, Jimmy. Yeah, when I first heard this, the timeline didn't seem like it worked out because the Titanic was like the early 1910s, and obviously World War II is in the, the 40s. So I checked it out. I spent the week working on this, and it's an incredible story. We've done some stories on war heroes, none that have had an incredible brush with fate like this. So this is right up our alley. We'll start by talking about what happened at Dunkirk. In America, we tend to focus on World War II stories that occur after Pearl Harbor, that is, after America was provoked into becoming involved in the war. But one of the most amazing stories of heroism during the Second World War happened during the Battle of Dunkirk between May 26th and June 4th of 1940. The Allies were losing the war. Nazi Germany had invaded Poland the previous September, and by early May, they had now entered Belgium, the Netherlands, and France. The British Expeditionary Force was sent to help defend France. But Germany's powerful Panzer Tank Division had trapped the BEF, a small contingent of Belgian troops, and three entire French field armies against the northern coast of France. There was no safe land route for escape, and it was determined that the only course of action was a full evacuation from the nearest port city, Dunkirk, France, to safety in Dover, England. To explain the events leading up to the evacuation of Dunkirk, I'd have to take more time than I'm allowed on the podcast, because I'd have to explain the entire battle and the condition that left the troops stranded. So we'll just skip past the fierce battle and jump forward to the point where the German tanks were stopped by canals outside of the port city, and it was now up to a powerful German Luftwaffe air attack to drop bombs and complete strafing runs on the surrounded troops. They had all mostly filed out to the beaches, waiting without cover for ship transport to Dover, a passage that, at its shortest, was 39 nautical miles. There were somewhere around 400,000 troops waiting to evacuate Dunkirk, and they were surrounded by twice that many German troops. British Prime Minister Winston Churchill said, that with the available ships, he thought they would only be able to evacuate around 45,000 of those troops. What occurred next has been referred to as the miracle at Dunkirk. The official code name was Operation Dynamo. Word was spread that the troops needed help and a giant flotilla of boats started arriving to aid in the evacuation. Not just military ships, either. Anyone who could take on passengers started showing up and picking up the soldiers waiting in knee-deep water. One cruiser, 39 destroyers, 9 gunboats, 36 minesweeper boats, 13 torpedo boats, 8 hospital boats, 34 tugboats, 113 trawlers, and more than 311 personally-owned small watercraft came to the rescue. 693 boats in all. 223 of those boats were sunk by the Germans. Around 61,000 troops were killed or wounded. But miraculously, 338,226 Allied troops were rescued and arrived safely on the other shore. So what does this have to do with the Titanic? We'll get to that after a quick word from our sponsors. There's not much I can say about the Titanic that hasn't already been said by the many documentaries, not to mention the James Cameron blockbuster movie in 1997. At least that's what I thought, but I had never heard the story about Charles Leitoler. He was born in Lancashire in 1874, and his naval career began as early as the age of 13 when he apprenticed on board a large sailing ship. The drama that would follow his career started during the early apprenticeship when they sailed into a horrible storm in the South Atlantic and had to make repairs in Rio de Janeiro, despite the country raging with a smallpox epidemic while struggling through a revolution. Soon after that, a fire broke out on a ship where he was serving and he was promoted for his bravery in putting out the fire to save the ship. He started working on board steamships at the age of 21. And during that time, sailing around Africa almost died from malaria. He took some time away from sailing to try his hand at mining for gold and wrangling cattle, but the sea called him back when the White Star Line hired him as an officer. That's how he came to be involved in the HMS Titanic. On the fateful night of April 14, 1912, Lightoller was the ship's second officer and had commanded the bridge watch until late into the evening. Before retiring to bed in his cabin, he had told the ship's lookouts to watch for small ice in the ocean ahead. But it wasn't until he felt the collision that he knew something was wrong. Here is Lightoller in his own words during an interview with the BBC in 1936.
2: She took the blow along her starboard side, masses of ice actually falling on the foredeck. But what was worse, though we didn't know that till it came out of the inquiry, She was pierced below the waterline in no less than six compartments, and from that moment nothing could have saved her. It wasn't long before Boxall, the fourth officer, poked his head round my door and said, You know we've struck an iceberg. I know you've struck something, I told him, not thinking it anything serious and feeling none too pleased. Then he said, The water's up to F-deck in the mail room. There was no need for him to say anything more. I was into a pair of pants, sweater, and bridge coat and out on deck almost as soon as he was.
0: This is where, according to some, Lightoller was a hero. According to others, he was a murderer. As the ship began to sink, his first job was to get the women and children into the lifeboats on the port side of the ship and lower them into the ocean. And that he did. He evacuated every woman and child into the ships on that side until there weren't any more and that's why he faces criticism. Only allowing women and children on the boats meant that some of them had room to spare for the men aboard. His instructions were to only allow women and children, and Lytoler followed them strictly. So strictly, in fact, that when a man tried to board one of the boats, he jumped on board and threatened the man with his revolver, a scene which was dramatized in James Cameron's 1997 film. After the ship's lifeboats were all lowered, there were only a couple small collapsible rafts left, and those were sent away as well with as many as could occupy them. Lytoler now found himself in the icy water as it crept up the Titanic's many staircases and hallways. He tried to swim to the ship's crow's nest, which he could see peeking above the surface, but remembered that a sinking ship created suction that would pull him under. He tried to swim away, but he couldn't. It was too late. The suction of the sinking ship pulled him under water and pinned him against a grate. He tried to push away, but couldn't.
2: For my part, I turned forward and took a header from the top of the wheelhouse. I started to swim away, but got sucked down two or three times. In fact, I got mighty near the edge of things before I finally came up alongside the collapsible. We'd hove into the water from the top of the officer's quarter And there I
0: hung on. It was a large boiler explosion deep in the ship underwater that had sent a rush of hot air upwards and had enough force to throw Lightoller away from the ship. He ended up finding himself underneath an overturned light raft and he would be the most senior member of the Titanic's crew to survive. Long after the Titanic, Long after Lightoller played an important part in the investigations into what went wrong, he found himself fighting for Britain in World War I. From his actions during the war, he was awarded on two separate occasions for gallantry, one being for sinking German U-boat UB 110. Charles Lightoller retired in March of 1919, and just 10 years later returned to the sea in his own private yacht, the Sundowner. The Sundowner was a 58-foot motor yacht with a 72-horsepower diesel engine and a top speed of about 10 knots. It was a ship purchased for enjoyment and nothing more, until a call went out in late May of 1940 about small ships being needed for a massive rescue effort from the shores of Dunkirk, France. On June 1st, Lightoller and his son Roger left the port of Ramsgate and sailed to Dunkirk. Crossing the channel, they rescued the crew of a motor cruiser that was on fire. That was just the beginning of what they would face. Sailing past sunken ships and with the thread of the Luftwaffe overhead, the Sundowner wasn't able to board soldiers from the piers at Dunkirk because they were too high. Instead, Lightholder pulled up next to the HMS Worcester and began taking soldiers that were crammed on board. A total of 130 men squeezed on the Sundowner and she returned to England to bring them to safety.
2: Out from the hell that is Dunkirk, back from the steel thrust of the German war machine comes the BEF. For what has been done in the past few days, the BEF is grateful to the Royal Navy for hanging a screen of fire around the Belgian beaches while the men were embarking. Here our cameras are off Dunkirk. Here the BEF is grateful too to the men of the merchant service in the big transports and the tiny boats plowing between the big ships and the
0: shore. Charles H. Lightoller had seen his share of high drama during his naval career, but none as heroic as being one of the hundreds of ships put into service of the war that day. I'll leave you with an excerpt from a speech that Winston Churchill delivered to the House of Commons three days later. It's known for the line, we shall fight on the beaches. Churchill was letting the nation know of the heroism that happened at Dunkirk. And while he was careful to not call it a victory, He was using the speech to strengthen the resolve of the British, and at the end, which you'll hear, he makes a definite call to the United States to become involved.
3: For four or five days an intense struggle reigned. All their armored divisions, or what was left of them, together with great masses of infantry and artillery, hurled themselves in vain upon the ever-narrowing, ever-contracting appendix within which the British and French armies fought. Meanwhile, the Royal Navy, with the willing help of countless merchant seamen, strained every nerve to embark the British and Allied troops. 220 light warships and 650 other vessels were engaged. They had to operate upon the difficult coast, and often in adverse weather, under an almost ceaseless hail of bombs and an increasing concentration of artillery fire. Nor were the seas, as I have said, themselves free from mines and torpedoes. It was in conditions such as these that our men carried on with little or no rest for days and nights on end, making trip after trip across the dangerous waters, bringing with them always men whom they had rescued. The numbers they have brought back are the measure of their devotion and their courage. We shall fight in France, we shall fight on the seas and oceans, we shall fight with growing confidence and growing strength in the air. We shall defend our island, whatever the cost may be. We shall fight on the beaches, we shall fight on the landing grounds, we shall fight in the fields. And in the streets, we shall fight in the hills, we shall never surrender. And if, which I do not for a moment believe, this island or a large part of it were subjugated and starving, then our empire beyond the seas, armed and guarded by the British fleet, would carry on the struggle until, in God's good time, the new world with all its power and might, steps forth to the rescue and the liberation of the old.
0: Well, now it's time for the part of the podcast where I call a friend. And I want to thank you for hanging in there with us. We're going a little bit longer this week because there was a lot of story to tell. And uh, this week I'm going to call Jonathan Burns... Jonathan is a comedian and physical performer. He's a contortionist. He's one of my oldest friends in show business. He's currently performing with the 35th season of Circus Flora in St. Louis, Missouri.
1: Nice to see you, Michael. Always. Am I speaking too loud? (laughs) I feel like I'm speaking too loud.
0: It's a little bit high on the the meter.
1: I'm sorry. I'll I'll pull it back a bit.
0: Am I overmodulated? Uh, I'm
1: on the radio.
0: You're you're in a hotel room right now.
1: I am. I am currently out of the house. I'm in St. Louis for the month. I'm performing in a circus, uh, which I've That's never exciting. done before. I'm in Circus Flora,
0: you've and, performed in a circus before. Uh,
1: well, this this is like a like a traditional circus. Circus, not like one of they, those weird they, French circuses. Yes. I, yeah. I've been in like, you know, oh, cabaret and it's circusy, but this is like, like circus people, like people who drive stakes into the ground and, and like trapeze artists who, who have like fifth generation and, That's awesome. and they're tough and they live in a, they live in a caravan and it's, 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 it's been cool.
0: Well, then I'm too. questioning your commitment because you look like you're in a nice cushy hotel right now. <laughs>
1: no this is the tent
0: <laughs> you're in the caravan you're okay. in a it's like a, well, that, a was, that was an
1: option when when, when when we were talking about this they were like well you could stay in this really nice hotel it's like two blocks away or we could get you like a like a camper van and you could you could sleep behind a tent and i was like oh so many ah, what do i choose and i decided cushy hotel
0: yeah that's more what we're accustomed to
1: (laughs) yeah i mean it's it did sound sexy for a little while like it sounded like oh that'd be a cool story but then a month a month in a caravan where i I probably wouldn't fit in the in the bed it didn't seem as cool
0: which is a funny statement coming from a contortionist
1: yeah i mean i can fit into small places do i want to stay in small places questionable
0: (laughs) okay well uh it's a love-hate relationship with contortionism is what i'm hearing
1: (laughs) I'm just learning I'm learning so much today. This is great.
0: Do you have a guess as to what our topic is going to be this week?
1: Uh yes. I I did extensive research when you when you let me know I was going to be on the show um, and I was certain this week's topic would be sloths. So I looked all up about, as many sloth facts as I could.
0: All about sloths. Well?
1: Yes. Like for instance, did you know that a sloth can move if threatened at 0.17 miles per hour?
0: I do now. Um, I guess maybe I should give you points for that. Okay, you win. You win. Right. We did it. <laughs> you win. We it, uh, well, unfortunately, Jonathan, our topic is not sloths. And for the first question, we're going to play for a joke. So if you get it right, I got to tell you a joke. If you get it wrong, you got to tell me one. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Charles Lightoller commanded a yacht that carried soldiers to safety during the evacuation of Dunkirk in World War II. Before that, why was he already famous? A. He was the second officer on the Titanic. B. He was a famous jazz trumpeter. Or C. He had toured through the U.S. as a famous contortionist under the name Flexible Carl.
1: Oh. Oh, man. Do, I do do the, <laughs> the stage name Flexible Carl. I'm just realizing this isn't about sloths. Okay. <laughs> uh, woefully ooh. unprepared at this point. I am going to say that he was on the Titanic.
0: You are correct, Jonathan Burns. He was the second officer on the Titanic, the most senior officer to survive the sinking of the ship. Uh, and he only survived because he was actually going down with the ship and a boiler exploded. Pushed him away from the ship, and he was uh, he found safety.
1: That's let's make that movie.
0: Yeah, just all about this guy. Um, yeah, there was. I'll, a,
1: I'll call James Cameron right now.
0: Yeah, it's the the sequel, <laughs> Titanic Two. Titanic <laughs> Two. <laughs> the the uh, yeah, I don't know how that would work, uh, but yeah, you you know, there's a the whole movie about Dunkirk and this this right. massive operation of several hundred thousand soldiers that were stuck. And they started commissioning a flotilla of like everyday ships and boats to go and save these folks. And he was one of them. So he fed oh, wow. 130 people, 127, 130 people on his yacht in retirement. He was 66 years old when it happened. And um, so, you know, and that was another another famous story that this guy was involved in. Pretty crazy. Hey,
1: this guy had a yacht after he sunk in the Titanic. Yeah. That was the next, was, that was the next move. I a boiler exploded. I miraculously survived. I'm going to spend more time on the water. <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, and and, the, and the, he, he not only that, but like he did go on to fight in World War One in the Royal Navy. So uh, and and drama followed him throughout his whole naval career. I don't. I think that it was um, a poetic way to retire is to just spend time on the water. Yeah, why Oof. not? Why oh, not? I'd be on land.
1: I guess this is more land time for me.
0: Yeah, maybe, maybe. I mean, you, you figure you get through all that. Nothing worse can happen than sinking on the Titanic.
1: That's true. And speaking of water, did you know that a sloth <laughs> can go underwater and hold its breath for up to 40 minutes?
0: That's. I, I feel like, A, I did not know that, and B, that's because that is made up. I'm that not- is,
1: not, is not made up, I swear. They, they is... can hold their do- their their breath longer than a dolphin. <laughs> it's because they're, I think they're, I think it's because there's not like everything's slowed down and they can, they can, 40 minutes.
0: Look it <laughs> it's up. Not true. It's not the true internet joke. says it's true. No, you're, you're weakening the With name my of my podcast. <laughs> <laughs> you're tarnishing my strong, my, my good name. <laughs>
1: I, I, I swear that's a fact.
0: <laughs> I owe you a joke. Uh, here's your joke. What do you call cheese that isn't yours? I don't know. Stolen. Stealing is bad, and you should return the cheese. Oh, man.
1: I learned, I learned another lesson today.
0: Yes. Oh, boy. Okay, so you got that one right. Uh, and you're actually, I would say you're one for one, but you're two for two uh, because of your dolphin, or your, your, not your, dolphin, your, your sloth speed fact. Wow.
1: I, 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 I've
0: got more. Don't worry. It's not often that the bonus questions come before the quiz.
1: You know, I don't play by the rules. Know that.
0: (laughs) Question two: For this question, we'll play for an embarrassing or funny story that's happened. So, if you get it wrong, you'll tell me a story. If you get it right, I'll tell you one. Okay. When the Titanic was put in the water in 1912, it was the largest moving object ever built. Of course, it would be small compared to most modern cruise ships. The Disney Dream is 1,115 feet long. How long was the Titanic? Was it A six hundred and fifty feet, B eight hundred and eighty-two feet, or C five hundred twenty-nine feet? Hmm. I've actually I've
1: been on all, all the Disney cruise ships except the Dream. I have been on the Fantasy, which I believe is the same size.
0: It's the exact same size, yes. Yeah. Hmm.
1: Hmm. I'm gonna go with A six
0: hundred and fifty
1: feet. Yeah, six hundred fifty feet.
0: Unfortunately, Jonathan, the answer is 882 feet. I was going to say that! I know you were, but you didn't.
1: Uh, I almost said B. I was so close to saying B, and I went A.
0: Yeah, A. So it was 882 feet. The Disney Dream is 1,115 feet. The Titanic was 141 feet high. Uh, and back to our comparison to the modern ship, a Disney, the Disney Dream is 216 feet high. Do you have a story or an embarrassing thing? Maybe something that happened on board the Disney Fantasy or...
1: Uh, yeah well actually there is something that has happened on there um uh so i do i perform on disney cruise lines and uh once you do your show you're sort of like a celebrity on board people know who you are so everywhere you go it's like
0: it's like being a zoo animal
1: it's exactly much like a sloth
0: (laughs) Um, i'm not giving you this question you still missed it
1: (laughs) so the so that's that sometimes it happens, like you know, as long as your show goes well, if your show goes well. It's, it's nice being a celebrity on board for the week, because then it ends at some point. But uh, I've definitely been in the situation where uh, you're on board, you're walking around, and people are like, "Oh, can we take a picture?" And I was like, "Oh, sure," and I like went to get in the picture with them, and they're like, "No, if, did you take a picture of us?" And I was like, <laughs> oh, yeah. Of course. Oh no, seriously. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's happened to me on on board, on board a few times,
0: a few times. That is yeah. um, <laughs> I that that's very funny. <laughs> question three for this question. We're playing for it. the Internet Says It's True sticker available only on Patreon. It's patreon.com slash Michael Kent. You can get a sticker when you join. Also, if you were a Patreon member yesterday at the gold level or above, you got to see a live stream version of a magic show that I did for a, a private group. That they were the only people that were able to see that, other than the group that hired me. Here's your question: Is gold the highest? Gold is the well. You know what? I do have what I call the official emperor of of, and that is if you go above and beyond the the highest level, then you might get a special title.
1: But yes, gold is the
0: normal highest. I'd like to
1: be diamond platinum.
0: (laughs) Diamond platinum. Maybe that would be what we call you uh, if you just (laughs) pay me monthly money. (laughs) Which I don't think is going to happen. One of the reasons that the Allied forces were outnumbered at Dunkirk was because Allied war planners thought it would be impossible for Germany to get their tanks and men there. There was this thick forest in the southeast part of Belgium and Luxembourg. What was the name of that forest? Was it A, the Ardennes, B, the Black Forest, or C, Sherwood Forest?
1: I'm going to just go with A cuz I've been guessing A the entire time and I have a I have a sponsorship with AAA. Uh A the Arden.
0: Final answer? Yes, it is the Arden. That is the 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 name of the forest. It was not the Black Forest famous for ham. It was not the Sherwood Forest famous for Robin Hood. They didn't think that the German tanks could get through the terrain. But they were thinking they they had basically World War One knowledge, both of Mm. the tanks and their ability and of the roadmaps that were going through the forest. There had been more roads built. The tanks were faster and better. And they thought that the tanks would be there in five days. Instead, they were there in just over two days. They tore through the Ardennes in uh, two and a half days. Speaking of France, you tore into France on a television show once.
1: i did yeah i was on france's got talent
0: what was your experience did you actually speak french or did they dub you or how'd that work
1: well the, the so this is this was the original idea i said i i don't speak french i i did send a video where i i i i, I, was, I was taking a french lesson and and all the answers were gerard
0: Depardieu. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh
1: i did i,
0: I well, that is all for this week. Thank you so much to Jonathan Burns for being my guest. Here's the ghost of a young child that died on the Titanic.
1: Do my act. And then when the judges want to talk to me, I'm going to crawl back in the suitcase. And I'm going to give, like, thumbs up or okay as they talk to me. So I don't have to speak French. Uh, but it's 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 different. So the priest was like, great, we love it. We love it. You know, that was my French. Yeah. So um, I was great. So I, I do the act. And I I crawl. Uh, I crawl out, do my do my thing, everything goes really well. Um I go to get back in the suitcase and a guy with a microphone comes up. He's like, they want to talk to you. <laughs> and they have me a microphone. <laughs> and it was Bonjour, everybody. <laughs> you know, like so I uh that that was the experience there. Luckily, uh the judges spoke both English and French very well. Nice and we, we made it through through so it's just it you, when you watch the clip it's just me like they say stuff to me in french and i just say merci a lot um but in the in the reaction they we talked for a long time and they cut it down to me just being like merci merci
0: <laughs> <laughs> question for um we're gonna play for a comment a youtube comment on our newly released Penn and teller fool us videos and when i say newly released Someone had made a rights claim on all the Fool Us clips for like a year, and they have no one's been able to watch inside the U.S. They were blocked, but the legal battle was recently resolved. The clips are back up. So if you get this right, I will comment on one of your Fula clips. If you get it wrong, you'll comment on mine.
1: Wonderful. It was like they were next; they were sinking on the Titanic, but they were next to the boiler, and now they've been exploded yes. and
0: released. The legal boiler, if you will, has <laughs> has released us. The Titanic had a baker on board. Charles Jogin. I don't know how to say his name. J-O-U-G-H-I-N. Jogin. But he wasn't French. He was English. He survived the sinking after some heroic actions helping people get on lifeboats. It's a crazy story. He credits his survival in the cold to what? A. He was an overweight man. 275 pounds and the insulation helped him survive. B. He had taken cold baths his entire life. Or C. He was drunk and he couldn't feel the cold. Mm. I was
1: going to pick whatever one had baked goods in it. Uh, (laughs) He floated on baguettes. Um, (laughs) He took cold baths his whole life. Lock it in.
0: Unfortunately, Jonathan, that is not the answer. The answer is he was drunk. He couldn't feel the cold <laughs> because he was drunk, uh, and which is interesting because he had really done some heroic stuff. He had helped a ton of people get on lifeboats, like many of the crew. Uh, but he credits his ability to survive in the cold water and that it didn't feel cold to him. And he doesn't remember any of this. <laughs> <laughs> no. Now you'll comment on one on my on my pen and teller fool us video. What are you going to yeah. comment? Do you know? I mean, you've seen the bit. You know what it is.
1: Um, I'm, I'm going to tell everyone how it's done. Okay. that's that's what the internet needs. <laughs>
0: that's, that's what YouTube is for.
1: <laughs>
0: It'd be pretty great if you just got on there and gave me a sloth fact.
1: <laughs> I mean, that, that's possible too. Did you know <laughs> that a sloth, they hang out in the trees all day, uh, but they only come down to to relieve themselves, to, to urinate. And the only way they do that is if it rains. When it rains, they come down there. And they pee so like when they're in captivity they have to spray them with the hose every few days so they make sure they they, they pee otherwise <laughs> they'll stay up there forever
0: that actually sounds true uh i have no it is, I, it is. these are all true facts i'm I have you. no reason to doubt your your facts on this
1: you're gonna bring me back for the the internet says it's true uh sloth episode
0: i know it i'm gonna start a podcast with the same name but a question mark at the end <laughs> the See? internet says it's true? True? <laughs> it's all just sloth facts. It's I love it. The Sloth Podcast. Question 5 and Jonathan, this one is for all the marbles. So if you get it wrong, I'm banning you from this podcast never to be asked on again. Oh my gosh. Here is your you question. <laughs> I do need you. You are currently holding up this particular episode. <laughs> what is the best variety act you've ever seen?
1: Best variety act I have ever scene i there's there's this is on the internet and that's how i've seen it it's um bob and louie and uh bob is is a person and louie is his dog and it's a trained dog act where the dog does nothing um the guy is very excited like come on boy come on out here he's like super excited and the dog just sits there and does nothing and he has to like move the dog around it's 10 minutes long (laughs) (laughs) And it it is, it is a delight. So Bob and Louie, there's a couple different clips of it. There's one from like a Dean Martin Christmas uh, variety special, but uh, highly recommended. I watch it probably once a week. (laughs)
0: That's awesome. Amazing. Uh, You can see Jonathan Burns in Circus Flora in St. Louis until the end of October And after that, you can learn more about him and see his tour schedule at iHeartBurns.com. Thank you so much for coming on and teaching us all about sloths, Jonathan. It was a pleasure.
1: Happy to do it. Yeah, it's iHeartBurns.com. Don't go to HeartBurns.com unless you want to order Tums.
0: (laughs) Good to see you, buddy. Good to see you. Well, that's all for this week. Thanks to Jimmy for the topic and to Jonathan Burns for being my guest. This little kid's name is Iceberg Dunkirk.
1: Thank you for listening to The Internet Says It's True. Don't forget to join up on Patreon if you want to see the unedited video of the guest appearance or to hear bonus episodes. You can do that at patreon.com slash Kent. Also, if you learned something that you didn't already know from the show, please visit iTunes and leave us a review with five stars and a few words. That's the rule, you gotta do it. That helps us a ton, because that's how the algorithm works, to get the podcast suggested to more people. And that way we can keep learning something new, if the internet says it's true.
0: The internet says it's true. we would like to thank the Patreon subscribers whose monthly contributions help to make the show possible. Sean Brown, Denny Corby, Joshua Endres, Dallas Ray, Bryce Swanson, Eugene Anderson, Jim and Joanne Martin, Mitch and Andrew Joseph Kemplin, and the show's official Emperor Kick Track. The show is written and produced by me, Michael Ken. The theme song is by Finite Music Forge. All audio clips in this episode are used for education and commentary and used under Fair Use Title 17, USC Section 107. You can listen to past episodes by searching for The Internet Says It's True wherever you get your podcasts, and you can see bonus content at patreon.com slash Kent. The Internet Says It's True is part of the WCBE podcast experience.